This is the Turf Show Times Draft Podcast. It is April 25th, 2020, and the Los Angeles Rams of the NFL have drafted nine players to participate in their festivities for the time being. That festivities being the work uh, that goes along with trying to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, which stands for National Football League, and the Rams selected nine players. They did not have a first-round pick, which was used to acquire cornerback Jalen Ramsey from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So their first-round pick, the capital that each team has with the draft, did not go to waste just because it was not used this weekend, but they did draft nine players. They had two in the second round, two in the third round, one in the fourth round, one in the sixth round, and three in the seventh round. And I am going to tell you something about that class and perhaps each player a little bit. But keep in mind, I have recorded draft grade podcasts so far for five of the draft picks up to Bryson Hopkins tight end. So check those out and also check out Goofballs, a football podcast where every week I talk to comedians about their favorite NFL teams. Today, I am talking about the L.A. Rams 2020 draft class and giving you a grade, not really, and I will begin by talking about what the thoughts were with the L.A. Rams going into the draft and the thoughts were that the Rams of Los Angeles, previously they were in St. Louis and they moved in 2016 when they drafted Jared Goff. And now here we are. And they went into this draft having perceived needs at the areas in which they were deficient last season, namely mostly being offensive line. This upcoming season, we only knew really that Andrew Whitworth would be the starting left tackle if they re-signed him, but he is 39 years old at the time of next season, uh, assuming that it happens. And Rob Havenstein is another player who was likely to start on the offensive line, although he struggled last season, and when he was hurt and returned, he did not uh, quite get that job back. So they didn't have a lot of guarantees, and so it was presumed that perhaps with their second-round picks, they would target a guard or a center, someone who might be able to compete to start right away when the season begins, and that is not what happened. Other perceived needs would be an edge player because of the loss of the very important Dante Fowler or an inside linebacker because of the very important loss of Corey Littleton. They did sign Leonard Floyd, an outside linebacker and edge rusher from the Chicago Bears, but he is not guaranteed to help. And if he does, and I'm sure he will, he is not a long-term solution, and the Rams would still need further players to join him because there is not good depth. And so with that being said, they did draft an edge player, albeit a risky one because of injuries. People were also wondering about running back, which did happen, receiver, which did happen, and cornerback, which kind of happened. Perhaps safety depth, and that's for sure. But overall, I would say it looks as though the Rams, and when I say the Rams, I'm specifically and mostly talking about general manager Les Snead and head coach Sean McVay. So the Rams clearly, I think, went into this draft feeling we are going to draft players who feel safer to us, who can contribute soon, 
who will be able to handle a difficult offseason and perhaps make it easier on the coaching staff when they do finally have the okay to be able to meet again. I mean, there will be plenty of meetings over Zoom, but when they're working out and practicing, I mean, the NFL, you cannot practice over Zoom. You know, the players need to play together. The quarterback needs to throw to the receiver. The offensive tackle needs to know what it's like to work next to his offensive guard and of course the Rams as I mentioned will be rotating many different offensive linemen and shifting different offensive linemen around as they try and find that perfect balance and chemistry and the right five pieces to sit fit in those five positions and with all of that sort of moving parts going on in addition to losing key starters like Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley we know that the LA Rams need to have as, I think, little distraction or little uh, extra work to do this offseason in order to prepare for next season. And when they, when they do, knowing that they're 9-7 and seven last year on the cusp of being uh, having a better record and potentially getting back to the, you know, definitely getting back to the Super, uh, to the playoffs if they had done slightly better. Uh, and potentially, you know, that you can never know when a, a Super Bowl trip could happen if, if that was the case, if they had made the postseason. So the Rams feel, and I think rightfully so, that they're not far away from getting back to where they were. Obviously, there are issues, and some people I've seen project the Rams to have a pretty poor season, and I don't know how much truth there will be to that. I think that when you really, if you're just focused on the offseason, I think the Seahawks have not had a very good offseason. If you're just trying to think about what they're, short-term future is um they still have plenty of needs to fill i believe and the arizona cardinals conversely have had a really great offseason i believe uh, adding some great talent certainly a guaranteed talent in deandre hopkins and potentially a fantastic talent in isaiah simmons in the draft and they've done some other things um, and the san francisco 49ers picked up at tackle trent williams on saturday with the announcement that Joe Staley would be retiring. So the 49ers have had a pretty good offseason. The Rams need to keep up and they need to do anything in their power, you know, while they still have Aaron Donald in his prime and Jared Goff on this very expensive contract and Andrew Whitworth at the end of his career, most likely. All those things coming together, the draft picks that Les Snead and Sean McVay wanted to make seem to indicate that they know that they want players who can help right now and don't need a lot of coaching up every rookie you know would, would come in there needing that but they i think they want the the lowest curve possible to have to teach these guys on and that seems to be the case with these picks sometimes and certainly i think going running back early when i figured that teams might go running back earlier than usual i wouldn't say that was necessarily the huge case as the first running back off the board wasn't until 32 and then, you know, the third running back off the board was, no, that was, uh, I think he was a fourth running back off the board was Cam Akers. And that's, you know, pretty typical probably. But at this range, I think you can get a really great running back. And there's less projection, I believe, if you're working with Cam Akers as opposed to another player at a different position who might have a, a really great ceiling and who in three or four years you're thinking I'm going to potentially get, be kicking myself for not having this guy if he is a defensive end or a cornerback or a guard, someone who was not going to contribute right away. 
I don't think that the Rams necessarily would have been in on players like Austin Jackson, for example, if they were still in the first round. You know what I mean? And Austin Jackson went off the board at 18, so he wasn't even available. Austin Jackson being a 20-year-old tackle from USC who might have an extremely bright future but is 20 years old. And the Rams, I believe, really targeted players who – I think in some cases skewed a little older and were at positions and were seniors and were at positions that might require a little bit less coaching up at this point, uh, like running back, just in terms of comparison, comparing that to another position uh, like, uh, you know, defensive end or uh, guard for sure, anything like that in the offensive line. This feels a little bit safer. And I think that that is geared towards the Rams believing that they just need to get guys who on their rookie contracts these first three years, they're going to help. And they just feel that when they have, and this is just my opinion, but they feel that when they have gotten rid of so much talent and forcefully so in Dante Fowler and Corey Littleton and Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks, and even going back to last year, Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib, and uh, there's so many players that are being switched out, and they need the guys that are coming in are not going to be as proven because this is a money issue. This is a salary cap issue. There were only so many guys that the Rams could keep. They were hoping that they would win the Super Bowl in 2018 or 2019. That did not happen. And here we are in 2020, and they want to keep that window extended as long as possible. So I believe that's why you would not draft projects or guys that might be able to help in three years. They did that, they believe, in 2018 and 2019 as it relates to the offensive line with the selections of Brian Allen and the selection of Bobby Evans and selection of Joseph Nopum. So they already had these guys like David Edwards who are like, hey, look, you wanted us to draft a, a, an offensive lineman in the third or the fourth round. We did that, and we're trying to make those guys work. So before I get to the next guy, let me try and make this guy work. So in terms of, I think, grading them on a scale of whether or not we they were accomplished in their presumed goal of getting players who would make it easier for them in the 2020 season, whenever that happens, then I think that they get a 100 out of 101. Dalmatians. So I think that that is the very uh, clear objective. And hey, how can I deny that they met their objective when it's the objective that gave me the presumption of what their objective was? They nailed it because it's what I think that they did. So looking at this draft class quickly, with the first pick in the first round, they used that to acquire cornerback Jalen Ramsey last year, as well as a 2021 first round pick and you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that changing hands as well. But I think that using a first round pick on a player like Jalen Ramsey and not having to use a, a top five pick like Jalen Ramsey was himself, even though he is expensive and he requires potentially a contract extension so that you know you can extend that window when you did try and make a push for right now, then, um, you know, that's a pretty good get to to have Jalen Ramsey on your roster. He doesn't have uh, a spot on the roster of any of the other 31 teams, and I think that that is very helpful to the LA Rams. And as it, it relates to the, the division, where you've got the 49ers becoming a pretty you know talented and potent offense, when you've got the Seahawks who have Tyler Lockett and, and now DK Metcalf, and I think. Um, 
And Brandon Ayuk, the 49ers drafted Brandon Ayuk this year in the first round. So they've got Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and the Seattle Seahawks have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And they've added Greg Olson and the Arizona Cardinals have DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. And you look at that and you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jalen Ramsey, that's a pretty good guy to have right now because DeAndre Hopkins is in the NFC West. DK Metcalf is in the NFC West, and he he may have only been a one-hit wonder, but we'll find out. And, you know, the 49ers have uh, the same thing with Debo Samuel, and they're, they're potentially building something there. So Jalen Ramsey, first-round pick, you would have never drafted a guy like that at pick 20, I don't think. Well, we don't know what these guys are going to be like, but this was not a Jeffrey Okuda pick. This was not a C.J. Henderson pick. They were where they were, and so they ended up with Jalen Ramsey. That's pretty good. In the second round, they pick Cam Akers, running back out of Florida State. This is an immediate addition to the offense. This is a running back, so as I said, I think this is someone who can help out right away. He played at Florida State behind a porous offensive line, and he was managed to be somewhat productive at Florida State, averaging five yards per carry last season. And I think that it's pretty clear that he is a broken tackle guy. He is the type of guy who you would draft if you were concerned about your offensive line and their ability to block and as you're trying to move things around. And as you know that you might have a shortened offseason and less time with the coaches and the playbook and, and everybody out there on the field at the same time, uh, getting a running back, you feel like your second-round pick is going to be able to contribute sooner rather than later, I believe. The second round pick, number 57, which was acquired from the Houston Texans in addition, in exchange for wide receiver Brandon Cooks, was used on a wide receiver, that being Van Jefferson out of Florida. He was not productive at Florida. His first three years were at Ole Miss, and then he spent two at Florida. He was not, quote-unquote, productive at Florida because his numbers were, you know, 500 and 600 yards in each of his seasons, basically. And people think, like, well, I am used to guys having 1,500 yards. And Van Jefferson played at a school in which he was the leading receiver for each of those seasons. So I think Van Jefferson, clearly a draft pick based on his um, his tape, what little tape that there was, and his uh, combine and his athleticism and what they liked in seeing him. And I watched the film like, barely, and I looked at it, and I said, hey, this guy looks like a good receiver, which is probably why he was drafted. And you could just sort of see and feel, and I felt like he looked like pretty smooth out there, the way the the way the balls came in, and just very, very fun guy to watch. And I can see how, even if he's not a one to one comparison to Brandon Cooks, this is a guy that you put in there. He can play in the slot. He's going to look good next to Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods, and it's going to be a situation where he's going to be, he's, it's going to be a soft landing for a guy like Van Jefferson, and he's probably one of the receivers in this class, and uh, especially in the second round, who's in a great position for his rookie season, I believe. So. Again, another move that makes sense in terms of having less worry about if your rookies will be able to contribute and help you next season. And then in the third round, pick 84, uh, their original third round pick, they select linebacker, edge rusher Terrell Lewis out of Alabama. This is, again, a guy with not a lot of tape. He was injured a lot in college, uh, a very prized recruit, as all Alabama recruits pretty much are. But... You know, still even among other Alabama players seen as uh, highly liked. And in my uh, draft grade, I just felt that 
Um, one of the concerns that I have about players sometimes is coming out of a school like Alabama. Uh, you look at the draft history of a lot of these guys who are going in the first, the second, the third round. It feels like you're getting less of a return on these Alabama players maybe than some of the other ones. And this could be related to any number of issues. Uh, Terrell Lewis is a guy that could have a first round grade, if not for the injuries, of course. And that's a consideration that he is going in the third round because of injuries and maybe be able to go in the first round but even the first round linebackers that you compare them to a lot of the times I'm not talking about Dante Hightower uh, you know uh, an inside linebacker um, but who knows what Terrell Lewis's future could be there's certainly nothing wrong with being a supreme athlete and a great high school recruit and was able to go to a school like Alabama and was able to you know be productive in, in the stints in which he was able to play which is not very often but the Rams took a big risk here with Terrell Lewis and uh I guess it is again feels like well if he's healthy now and if there's even an extra long off season for him to get healthy he can maybe just step in next season and, and we'll rush the pass and we'll see how it happens and who knows what happens so uh, you can kind of see where that pick fits in although it is one that might have the highest probability of the top say four five guys the top five guys draft here might have the highest probability of not being on the team in a couple years and that's only because of injury Terrell Burgess was the third round pick compensatory pick. 104th overall safety slash nickel cornerback out of Utah. Uh, again, this feels like a guy who might be able to step in day one and compete at the nickel cornerback spot and as well provide depth uh, at the safety position. But I mean depth in two terms. He will help with, you know, sitting behind John Johnson perhaps, but also and Taylor Rapp, but uh, also perhaps sitting in the backfield in a uh, – in a big dime package there with your uh, three safeties and he could sit in the back and, and make Taylor Rapp's job that much easier. So again, a guy that might be able to contribute right away. Uh, by the way, Van Jefferson's dad, Sean Jefferson, was a NFL receiver for 13 seasons, and that came into play this uh, draft as um, we get into fourth-round pick, 136th overall, Bryson Hopkins, a tight end. His dad was an NFL offensive lineman for many years, a pro bowler with the Tennessee Titans, and now uh, he is a NFL tight end. Uh, could be you know, very exciting and as an athlete, former basketball player, again, one of those types of tight ends. This tight end class was not considered to be very good. In fact, it was maybe considered to be the worst position in the class. But then again, I sort of look at it now and I think maybe the evaluators and the media is kind of misjudging what the NFL is looking for in tight ends and as well misjudging just how desperate the NFL is for you know good tight ends because we have seen the value of tight ends uh, skyrocket, I think, in 2020, and just looking the way in the contracts, the trades, and the draft. Bryson Hopkins has a very high ceiling, I think, as a receiver. Um, and as I said, his dad is an offensive lineman, so maybe you could improve his blocking and become a pretty good blocker um, at the NFL level. But what's really looking here is just, and he is as a receiver. And uh, the future here with Gerald Everett, a tight end who would be a free agent in 2021, uh, Bryson Hopkins could fit that in. One of the concerns is with his ability to catch the football. Sixth round pick, 109 safety, Jordan Fuller out of Ohio State. You know, at this point, the last three of the last four picks, uh, really these next two picks, you're like, maybe these guys can contribute on special teams. Um, could have been undrafted free agents. Uh, you know, we're getting close here to the end of the draft. 
and I think the Rams wanted a special teamer, again, a guy who they felt could, I think, contribute right away, doesn't seem to have a very high ceiling, doesn't seem like a guy who is projected to start at safety at the NFL level or perhaps projected to start at any position, uh, but would be a nice addition to a roster, uh, a locker room, and a special teams unit and some depth there at the safety positions. Seventh round pick, 234, linebacker Clay Johnston out of Baylor. His dad was an NFL strength and conditioning coach for a long time, and Clay Johnston is a linebacker out of Baylor. Special teams, probably a good attitude guy, a guy who's been around the NFL his entire life and may need less coaching up in this shortened offseason. Seventh round pick, 248, kicker Sam Sloman out of Miami, Miami of Ohio. Look, we got a kicker here. The, whatever they do in college, who knows, who cares? It doesn't seem to ever really translate to anything as far as I can tell. Uh, these kickers are nuts, and we'll just find out if they're good or not once they get in the field at the pressure situation of an NFL game because that seems to be where they're made or where they crumble. And Sam Sloman is in a competition now with two other guys who – Basically, they all have the same shot here, it seems like. We'll just see who has the better offseason, training camp, preseason, and then the Rams will either use one of them or assign somebody else. Uh, pick 250, the Rams' final pick and one of the final picks of the NFL draft, guard Tremaine Ankrum from Clemson. He played tackle at Clemson. He's projected to be a guard at the next level. He is not projected to be an NFL starting guard or perhaps even on a roster. That is no offense to Ankrum. It is just what happens when you're talking about seventh round picks. So that is the NFL uh, 2020 draft Rams class. It included nine players. They did not focus on offensive line. They seem to have gotten guys who are ready more now. They will need less coaching and guidance, I think, during the offseason because they do have strong support systems and NFL support systems behind them. So that is how I see the LA Rams draft class. What is the grade for this draft class? One of the problems with giving a grade, and it's a pretty big problem, is that grades usually require knowing if something is good or bad. And I would have to say that nobody knows anything about any of these players as it relates to the NFL level. So good or bad, how could anybody tell? I've heard a lot of people say that the Cowboys have had an excellent draft. How do you know that the reason that they've had an excellent draft, which is pretty much only ever guided by the fact that people read mock drafts and then they go, I saw that guy in a mock draft. Uh, I saw that guy in a mock draft. Uh, I saw that guy in a mock draft. I heard that guy before. It's like, oh, he's in the sixth round. That's interesting. They got a steal there. How do you know that guy didn't fall? Because how do you know that it was just like, oh, yeah, the NFL is like more into this thing and they've decided that this guy's not going to project at like a very high level. And the NFL is wrong about a lot of picks. So some of these guys, the, the Cowboys could have had a draft class, uh, a great class. But as far as whether or not that'll be true, we, we don't know. Just because there were a lot of guys on a list that were in a first and second round mock that uh, people had misjudged their draft value. I'm not going to say that someone had a good or bad draft based on mock drafts. So the Rams, though, they come away with pretty good marks from everyone that I've seen uh, across the league. It's just a lot of, I think, fans who would have preferred to see some of these offensive linemen drafted. 
but clearly the organization, the the front office, the coaches believe that the offensive linemen they have in the buildings, in the building, and there's multiple buildings. Hey, they're all at home, right? So buildings um, are the ones that are going to help them next season. And we'll see if the, there's more movement there among veterans. But clearly, these are the ones that they feel are going to help them next season. And uh, they've only added one here, and and you know, a growing perhaps list of undrafted free agents. But at the time being. Clearly, I think they have focused on guys that will help the next season's Rams. And if I'm giving them a grade on doing that, I would say, you know, they get um, a 90. Now, that's not out of 100, and I'll never tell you what it's out of, but they do get a 90. So congratulations, uh, or don't, or not. Maybe it's a maybe it's a bad score to the uh, L.A. Rams and less need, less need. But uh, also maybe congratulations just on you did it. You completed the virtual draft, the remote draft. Um, hardly a glitch, hardly an error. And if there were, we didn't know them, notice them or or hear about them. Uh, thank you. Uh, congratulations to you for listening. Uh, you've just done one of the best things that you've done for yourself ever, uh, which is listen to me talk about the L.A. Rams. Kenneth Arthur, uh, a writer for Turf Show Times and the LA Rams. I thank you for your time.